This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Chad Rigetti, who's the founder and CEO of Rigetti Computing. Chad is a quantum computing physicist and the founder and CEO of Rigetti Computing. He's a former researcher in the quantum computing group at IBM, and he holds a bachelor's degree in physics from the University of Regina and a PhD in applied physics from Yale. Rigetti is building the world's most powerful computers to help solve humanity's most pressing and important problems. Chad founded the company in 2013. And the company's raised approximately $200 million in venture capital. Their superconducting quantum computing systems are available over the cloud via Rigetti Quantum Cloud Services. The company is located in Berkeley and Fremont, California, but employs more than 130 people with offices in the United States, Canada, UK, and Australia. Chad, thanks very much for joining me today. Great to be here. So, Chad, I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. And my objective is to certainly give our audience a sense of what you did before you founded Brigetti Computing, but more broadly to orient our audience to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So could you please share with our listeners a bit about your background and path so far, things like where you grew up and where you went to school and what you studied. I talked a little bit about that, but other activities you enjoyed. I saw you were on the varsity wrestling team in college. Um, and certainly any insight into companies or organizations where you worked before starting Rigetti. I uh, have been interested in quantum computing and really got fascinated with it about 20 years ago. Um, I remember uh, really distinctly, I was, a, I was a junior physics major in college and I was taking both computer science classes as well as uh, a first course on quantum mechanics. And uh, I, was, I was frustrated because, you know, computer science doesn't really teach you the fundamentals in a, you know, early computer science doesn't teach you the, the basics of how computers work, but that's what I was interested in. Kind of at the metal, how do computers store and represent information? Hmm. Um, and quantum mechanics separately was also a very you know challenging and interesting course that I was fascinated by. Uh, and around the same time, I heard about a field very new and 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 at the time highly um, you know just very exciting within the physics community called quantum computing. Huh. And there were early results around that time on really small scale prototype quantum computers based on liquid state NMR. And I just got fascinated with this, the possibility of building a computer that would encode and represent information in quantum mechanical states of, of light or matter and have been working on it you know, in, in, this, in this area through academia, then IBM research, and now at Rigetti over the past um, close to nine years um, ever since. And it's been a really, really exciting journey. We've kind of grown up with the technology as it's made its way through just incredible groundbreaking research in academia uh, across many extraordinary research groups around the world, uh, one of which I got to be a part of at Yale University and, uh, for my, my PhD program and also later a postdoc that I did there. 
through kind of the industrial take up of the effort to build practical quantum computers, um, you know, heavy government investments in fundamental research and now more in supporting the build out and uh, of quantum powered economies uh, in the US and around the world. And um, I've just been thrilled to be a part of the industry uh, <laughs> since those early stages and to, and to have a chance to kind of be a part of some of the groundbreaking advances that have taken place. I love that quantum enabled economies or quantum powered economies. Fantastic. I'm going to write that down and listeners, please make a note of that new term for the uh, lexicon. Um, thank you for sharing that. I want to ask Leo, what led you to start Rigetti? So was there a light bulb moment where you're walking down the street and uh, you've got, got this epiphany or maybe a chance encounter with a colleague or a brainstorm in the lab? What made you decide to start a quantum computing company? That's a great question. Um, the story goes back to my PhD program, in fact. When, when I was at Yale, I was one of the earliest graduate students in our group. And I was very interested, uh, you know, I'm definitely an experimentalist. Um, I like to build things, um, first quantum computers and now companies. But at that mm -hmm. days, in those days, it was really about building qubits. And we wanted you know, to my, my thesis was focused on demonstrating two qubit logic gates with superconducting qubits. Um, but as an early graduate student in the lab, we didn't have, you know, we needed to first build out the lab and, uh, you know, there's buying equipment and installing that equipment. So during that time when we weren't able to yet really produce the chips that I want to do my experimental measurements on, I ended up doing a lot of theory and I'm certainly not a theorist, uh, but having that exposure to some of the core concepts in quantum information and quantum error correction uh, gave me uh, just a taste of how interesting and exciting that branch of the, of the field is. Hmm. And, you know, fast forward five or six years at, at IBM and what I saw, I just kind of tracked the progress across key vectors of, you know, all the things that need to come together to make a viable and, and high performing quantum computer, things like enhancements in quantum coherence times, uh, improvements in gate fidelities and the ability to do single shot high fidelity readout of superconducting qubits, um, improvements in error correcting codes, as well as progress in developing quantum algorithms that could really provide value to an end user with less than the kind of million or 10 million qubits or maybe even more that may be needed to run, say, Shor's algorithm, which was the, you know, the almost kind of the founding algorithm of quantum computing in a sense. Right. Um, uh, and so what I saw when I was at IBM was this convergence on the rate of progress and trajectory of ongoing improvements across all those different vectors. And I've been tracking them for some time because of this, this opportunity I had as a graduate student of being able to explore different things while kind of doing the foundational building of our, of our, you know, contributing to the building of our, of our lab and facilities. Um, and that was just an extraordinary experience. And what I saw at IBM was this, that those things, if you would fast forward five or seven years, that it, it, it was, you know, it could be foreseen that uh, error correcting codes would reach a, you know, a, a more and more tolerable error level and a lower and lower error overhead that possibly this kind of redacted region in quantum algorithm space between a hundred or a few hundred physical qubits mm -hmm. and a few, you know, tens of millions for Shor's algorithm would potentially start to be revealed a little bit through ongoing research and progress. And that progress on, on uh, coherence times and fidelities would continue to improve. And if that all did, well, in a few years, it would be viable to 
produce a fully integrated um, true kind of quantum computer at a first at a small scale and then potentially at a scale where it, where it would be able to exceed the performance of what a classical computer could simulate or could do. Yeah. And at that time, I thought, you know, if this can happen, then it will, because this technology is just too important and the promise is just too great. And I want to be a part of building that. And <laughs> I, I want to build a company that builds that technology. And so I, you know, I, I left IBM to start Rigetti and um, it, it's been an incredible journey ever since. And, uh, and, and that's how we got started. Wow. Terrific. So segues around qubits, right? So there are lots of options as we all know, right? Attempting to find the, maybe not the ideal solution, but how different qubit, you know, configurations might be applied. I know Rigetti is using superconducting, right? And you've operated quantum computers over the cloud continuously since 2017, which is pretty early to the game. I think IBM's first quantum computer in the cloud was also based on superconducting and made available in May 2016. But I wanted to ask you, you know, what made you focus on superconducting as the best solution? Because it's complex, right? Dilution refrigerators and wiring harnesses, and it's, um, it requires more complexity than, say, other qubit solutions. So I just want to get your take on why is superconducting the best solution? In the early days, quantum computing really referred to a field of physics research. Um, over the past 10 years, I would say, and certainly our focus at Rigetti has always been on quantum computing as a field of computing. Mm -hmm. And in computing, there's a set of performance factors or you know, vectors of performance that, that really kind of shape the end user utility of the technology. And I think over the past several years, there's started to be become a little more clarity in the quantum computing industry around this, but there's uh, really the quality of the systems. In other words, how low are the error rates ultimately? Yeah. There's the scale of the systems. How many qubits with, you know, can you compute with when you're running algorithms? Uh, and then there's the speed with which they can execute those quantum circuits. And when you look across those three vectors, superconducting technology is the one that is, in, in our view, kind of ready for prime time across all three. And the one also where you can envision substantial ongoing rates of progress across all three vectors in, for, you know, for the long term as computing technology needs to continue to evolve and improve. So when you look at the speed, the scale, the quality of the systems, we really feel like superconducting is the one that is both furthest along and has the greatest prospects going forward. And uh, it, it's not that a technology yeah. can be really strong at one of these. Uh, in fact, it's got to pass a bar. There's got to be a, a certain degree of performance on all three vectors simultaneously. And superconducting is, is, in our view, kind of head and shoulders above the other technologies on that overall performance level. Now, uh, I am a, an absolute quantum optimist. I believe this industry is going to uh, reformulate the, you know, the information technology landscape, the semiconductor industry, um, the value chains around the world over the next several decades. And ultimately, where I view kind of superconducting technology is likely to be the CMOS of quantum computing, if you will, the, the, hmm. the predominant technology, maybe the one that kind of sets the tone for the industry. Uh -huh. uh, other, other approaches, uh, trapped ions, neutral atoms, even photonic quantum computing uh, have real potential to add value in that ecosystem. And, and certainly this is such an important technology that has the potential to create so much end user value long term that we anticipate that the, the number of options that are out there that are being pursued are going to continue to grow. 
Um, but ultimately, superconducting is, is likely to be the, the preponderance of the market, if you will, and, and the mainstream technology around which other ones are kind of play a niche role or a supporting role. Huh. Thank you for sharing that perspective, the three vectors. That's fantastic. Appreciate it. Let's talk about manufacturing for a minute. So uh, you have Rigetti Fab 1, which is described as a captive quantum integrated circuit foundry, and you've been doing this since 2016. Wow. Um, you know, many quantum companies have been talking about leveraging best practices that we've learned from, you know, 50 years or so of industrial research fabs and, you know, using these learnings to develop and maintain stable processes, of course, and support continuous development. You know, some computing companies, uh, quantum computing companies have relationships with suppliers like Global Foundries, for example, for their chip fabrication, but you have, you built your own facility. So want to get your take, you know, what are the advantages and by the same token, the challenges of owning and managing your own fab. What's that been like? In quantum computing, the really the fountainhead of ongoing progress and the acceleration that the industry has seen over the past you know, five, 10 years centers and begins with our ability to design and produce quantum computing chips. This is where, you know, the kind of the fountainhead of value creation and of progress. And at Rigetti in the early stages, we made a strategic decision that Given how dynamic we expect this industry to be, given uh, how much uh, value there is to be created, that we wanted to play at the most fundamental level uh, where value is being created and captured. And that really includes focusing on on owning and, and, and driving progress in the design and manufacturing of quantum computer chips themselves. Yeah, uh, that is, uh, that, That's led us to a highly vert fully vertically integrated approach. We took this decision after really thorough evaluation of what commercial capabilities were out there with respect to the quantum chip architecture that we needed to build to to meet the long-term challenges of scale, speed, and, and, and performance. Um, and ultimately, uh, we found ourselves in a situation where we felt like we could design a facility to produce the chips that we needed that would be distinctive and, and really have sub substantial benefits as well as allowing us to move faster. So ultimately with our own fab, we've designed the facility to be a, a rapid design fab, you know, to support our rapid design fab test flywheel that we run internally to iterate on chip architectures hmm. and process innovations. We can turn new silicon in between five to 15 weeks. Oh. And with the way the semiconductor uh, industry is structured today, first of all, most of the manufacturing has moved, moved overseas. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of a, that coming back now as part of the, you know, re recent trends in the industry, but these are at massive scale. And we are talking about multi-billion dollar foundries really. And quantum computing simply can't support that, that at this stage, given the early uh, commercial adoption of the technology. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so yeah. we, you know, we, we've, we've invested probably about $25 million in the fab over the past five years. And we're able to produce chips uh, in there that are, you know, cutting edge of the, uh, you know, uh, at leading cohort within the entire industry and we're in a position where we're able to drive the rate of progress ourselves through this rapid iteration uh, mindset. Um, we, you know, owning the means of production of the core, you know, the fountainhead of progress in the industry is a real, is a key strategic advantage. And ultimately, uh, the, the core innovations we've made at the chip level uh, have been matched at the fab in the sense that, you know, the, the fab is designed to produce the chips within the, the proprietary Rigetti architecture that we've developed to, to address the scalability challenges. And so uh, we expect this, this approach to really continue uh, going forward and to be a real advantage. Uh, now, that said, uh, the semiconductor supply chain is really, really important. And one of the benefits of superconducting technology is that the technology is actually quite similar to uh, 
RF MEMS devices and a lot of traditional uh, semi devices. And because of that, we're able to tap into the talent to the supply chains outside of just the chip manufacturing, but tooling vendors, for example, yeah. uh, external vendors that might be providing in like specific processing steps uh, within a with, within the overall uh, design and manufacturing flow. And that's really important because it allows us to move re- move quickly and tap into that existing capability within the economy today. A- another reason why I think we've we've seen really you know good success with this approach is. The iteration cycle is impedance matched to the rate of progress in the industry. So with with a, with a very large foundries and working with an outsourced model, well, the the capabilities at the you know in, in producing very large wafers with high yields can, can be substantial. They're really quite sharp capabilities, and to deviate you know to vary those to produce quantum chips uh, it would require substantial rework and retooling, and could only happen with this relatively slow cadence of maybe annual or biannual tapeouts. And redesign, and uh, we, we view that as a real challenge to overcome going forward for for that for for those alternative strategies. So, with the captive foundry, we expect to be able to continue to drive pioneering advances in the chip architecture and the manufacturability going forward. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, very exciting. That again, sort of controlling you know the the core process, the core sort of capability. It's great that you have that in house, right? Let's tease out one of the vectors you mentioned: scale and scalability. So. It's been one of the largest hurdles that quantum computer companies face when going to market, right? Your latest offering, introduced in June last year, called Aspen M, is an 80-qubit processor um, that consists of two connected 40-qubit chips, right, and is available on your quantum cloud services platform, I read. Tell me about your multi-chip quantum processor and what are the advantages of two connected qubit chips? The implication being, how will it scale, right? How do you manage the interaction between them? But then it gives you the the ability to sort of build out a multi-chip processor that uh, could deliver, you know, what what single chips couldn't do. At the high end of computer chip manufacturing, uh, quantum or classical, everything is yield limited. And that applies to the latest uh, NVIDIA GPUs or or, or, TP, or, or Google TPUs or, or, or the latest AMD chips, for example. Having a technology solution to mitigate and reduce the yield challenges going forward was one of the one of, was one of the things we set out to to develop and deliver. And the multi-chip solution, what you're able to do with a multi-chip architecture, is to transform what is otherwise an exponential yield challenge as you pack more and more quantum components onto a single die, more qubits, more resonators, more readout I/O, uh, more control circuitry onto a single die to build larger and larger quantum computers. You're able to transform that exponential yield challenge into a linear challenge of producing many good copies of, say, a hundred, uh, you know, a, a die with a hundred qubits, uh, and assembling those together to create, say, a system with a thousand or four thousand qubits. Now, if you take that approach, you, you you reduce the yield challenges, and those yield challenges can be addressed. They it, it's just relatively slow, and it's really quite expensive to address them. And our focus is on speed and driving to quantum advantage and other milestones at, you know, as leaders in the industry and continuing our pioneering position. And so we want to develop an approach that could allow us to do that. Uh, and ultimately, the multi-chip solution by translating from exponential to linear in terms of the yield challenge uh, shifts the work into a different approach, which is how do you develop the 3D integration technology to allow yourself to assemble these chips at the wafer or die level to produce a multi-chip quantum processor? And that's what Rigetti has been focused on for the past 
Uh, many years, in fact, the technology roots of this go back to 2015. It includes core technologies like the ability to do superconducting uh, die-level packaging, uh, superconducting through silicon via uh, process technology for both isolating qubits on a single die as well as delivering signals uh, to and from qubits through, you know, through 3D signaling. And then the last kind of component that, that, that our engineering teams have put in place over the past few years is the ability to do very high quality, very fast two qubit gates directly between qubits disposed on different pieces of silicon. And that last ingredient where you're really able to create a, a single cohesive quantum lattice of qubits across multiple dies um, was the last piece of the puzzle. And the, the, the ADQ Aspen M uh, processor, as you said, based on two 40 qubit chips, the, the critical capability here, you know, there's all these foundational things like the, the superconducting TSVs, the superconducting die level packaging, other capabilities, but then uh, being able to assemble that processor and to operate that 80 qubit system as if it were a single die processor from an end user perspective is the is what we've been able to deliver. And um, I want to distinguish that against some other approaches to scaling because in, in the end, all quantum computing scaling technologies or, or approaches are going to require some degree of modularity. Uh, the die level modularity or the, the kind of multi-chip approach to building a single cohesive quantum processor, it's multi-chip, but it's single core, if you will. And that approach is really interesting because it doesn't introduce any uh, network latency, for example, or overhead in, in slower gates because of the, you know, the gates between dies being done with a different manner me mechanism as the, as the intra-chip two qubit gate. So ultimately, this is a really interesting solution. And with our 3D integration technology now and going forward, we're going to be able to assemble, we anticipate being able to assemble larger and larger quantum computers simply by using more copies of those core dies and, and assembling them out onto, onto the, the, you know, the cap die or the carrier die that we call it. Yeah. Uh, and that approach is, is really exciting. We think it's, it's going to be a, a substantial uh, acceleration in the, in the rate of scaling at Rigetti and in the industry. Wow, very exciting. So you mentioned quantum advantage. Let's take a step back and talk sort of big picture for a moment about the larger question of maybe the difference between quantum supremacy and quantum advantage. So we know that Google claims to have achieved quantum supremacy in September 2019, right, with their running that uh, algorithm and solving in 200 seconds what would have taken a classical computer 10,000 years to solve. And I guess the Chinese since then have ostensibly already exceeded that performance level. I also read in October last year, two Chinese teams claimed to have re, uh, reached quantum advantage. So let's talk about that for a moment. Can you describe for our listeners what the difference is and why Rigetti is particularly focused on advantage and then by inference what the broader implications are for the industry? Uh, we try to be really thoughtful about the right metrics and the right objectives to set for ourselves and recognizing that in many cases, those become objectives for the overall industry. Um, and in kind of 2017, 2018, we went through a, a, a process and a series of conversations. Where does quantum computing technology, and ask the question, where does quantum computing technology really need to get to get to an inflection point to really start unlocking end user value? At that point, we were we were, were just starting out on the on the stage of scaling our production quantum computing systems, and we wanted to set clear goals for the organization going forward and for the industry. Ultimately, uh, we landed on a notion of quantum advantage, and we put some work into what we mean by that because it's really important to be clear. So, quantum advantage ultimately is when you're able to use uh, quantum computing systems uh, 
to solve computational problems with some degree of performance benefit relative to the best available classical alternative. Uh, that performance benefit could be faster time to solution, lower cost of solution, or perhaps higher quality or greater accuracy of solution if you're trying to you know, calculate a ground state energy of a molecule, for example. And, and quantum advantage is, so, so if you focus on that definition of quantum advantage, it means that it's in essence, a kind of customer defined metric. It's about what you're doing for your customers and the end user versus what what they're you know what the systems are doing from an algorithmic perspective, independent of an application. Uh, now, quantum supremacy, the the Google achievement of, of quantum supremacy in two, 2019 uh, was historic and an incredible accomplishment for the industry. That the definition of supremacy in their you know according to Google, which is which is a very very rigorous one, is kind of non classically reproducible behavior on a Porter Thomas sampling experiment, and. Uh, that definition is really strong because it's it's rigorous and it's thorough and it's quite objective. It is disconnected from any particular customer application, if you will. Right. So yeah. it's really a little bit like measuring the horsepower of an engine when the engine is on stilts in the garage um, versus, <laughs> yeah, like you know, it. can the car get get you to school and back? And, and so it's, it's really strong. It's a different concept than advantage. And so what Rigetti has been focused on is delivering quantum advantage with and to and customers. And uh, we think that's, that's really the metric that needs to be hit to achieve an inflection point in the rate of adoption and, and, and in the growth of the revenue opportunity for all the participants in the quantum computing industry today. Uh, so we've been focused on, on, on that quantum advantage. Now, within quantum advantage, uh, today, uh, Rigetti's in the early, the e emerging quantum advantage phase. And what that means is today our systems are big enough, fast enough, and performant enough that you can earnestly benchmark them against classical alter alternatives. Or you can, you can run practical use cases on our systems and get relevant information out, relevant data. And so in this phase of e emerging quantum advantage, Really, for the first time, we're able to truly benchmark against practical use cases and ask the question, are we close to quantum advantage? Are we showing quantum advantage? What needs to be true that isn't true yet uh, in order to demonstrate quantum advantage and to hit this inflection point? And you know, going forward, the we, we expect to go through additional stages of kind of narrow quantum advantage where you're first demonstrating it on a specific use case. Uh, perhaps you know pricing options with a bank or predictive weather modeling through a gener generative modeling approach, and then from there, really through to solving problems that are classically intractable. Uh, and at that stage, uh, that would be kind of a broad quantum advantage because that if you're if you're able to solve an intractable problem, what is classically intractable, there's going to be a broad degree of transferability and applicability of those results beyond the specific narrow use case and customer that you've worked with. And so yeah. we really think of it as emerging QA and then narrow QA, where you're delivering that value to end users on a, on a specific use case basis. And then broad, where you're going to start to see broad uh, adoption and, and reapplicability of specific results uh, from our computing systems. Yeah. And no, thank you for sharing that perspective. I think that's key. Yeah. Tying to use cases, real world applicability, right? Advantage. That's the... That's the key, ultimately, right? I have to take a moment to ask you about Qtrits. <laughs> so, again, a new term to be added to the quantum lexicon. I read that by adding just one additional state, you can turn your qubits into Qtrits, which not only increases the amount of information encoded in a single element, but also enables techniques that can dramatically decrease readout errors. So can you 
tell our listeners more about how this works. Uh, the concept of Qtrits has been around for, for a long time, almost as long okay. as qubits. And in fact, encoding information in a you know, zero, one, or two, uh, maybe the three lowest line energy states of our qubits is, is an established concept. Now, uh, at Rigetti, we like to take a, 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 we like to be a pioneer. We like to push the envelope from a research and development perspective and introduce new concepts uh, to the industry, you know, by demonstrating the ability to uh, leverage more than two computational states, it's really building around this core concept of what a quantum computer is. Uh, a quantum computer ultimately encodes and represents information in quantum mechanical states. The transmon qubits we use have additional states, and those states can be very well behaved and can be manipulated. So, by introducing this concept of qubits, we we've, we've accomplished a few things. Um, Broadly speaking, it's a uh, it's a rich sandbox, really, for exploring how quantum computing concepts can be incrementally expanded and, and applied to new use cases in that pursuit of quantum advantage, ultimately, of practical use cases. One specific application is, is really decreasing readout errors. So uh, if you use the zero, one, and two states uh, as all kind of uh, as viable computational states in each qubit, uh, you can then allocate those to playing a specific role in the computation, whether that's for running specific error correction tests or parity measurements, or even mm-hmm. detecting when a readout error may have occurred or a qubit error may have occurred. And we think there's a really interesting and exciting uh, research uh, paradigm to open up with multi-state, you know, delivering multiple different states beyond just the two qubits within within our technology. Now, that's got to be uh, coupled with and paired with a software capability to actually manipulate those right. states. And one of the really interesting things uh, about Rigetti Quantum Cloud Services is we've, we we provide to end users the tools to do pulse level programming to kind of uh, to manipulate these multiple states. And this is a capability that is really enabled by our core software on our stack. It's a it's an it's an exciting development. Cute. Well, yeah. So I it's new to me, I guess. <laughs> I guilty as charged. I have to investigate further. Thank you for explaining that. There's, of course, an ongoing discussion about how much classical computation is required to make quantum computers viable. And I read uh, the Rigetti offers the hybrid quantum classical computation solution with its quantum cloud services platform, QCS, and that you're able to support ultra-low latency connectivity, less than one millisecond, between, say, a customer's high-performance classical hardware and Rigetti's QPUs using high-density flexible circuits. There must be more to it than that, I'm sure. Can you tell me a bit about how you managed to achieve this and by inference, the importance of better interoperability between classical and quantum devices? Our, our, our vision for quantum computing has, from, from the very early days in 2013 and 2014, centered on really viewing the quantum computer as a component in a, or the, the quantum processor itself as a component in a broader computing system, in in a little way, kind of in an analogy to a you know a nuclear reactor where there's the core that generates all the all the the raw power, if you will, or the heat um, or the energy, but then there's an entire ecosystem or infrastructure of kind of non quantum technologies around it to allow you to to leverage and apply that to produce power, electricity, and the quantum computer can, can you know conceptually can be taken in a similar way. So we've really viewed. Uh, and pioneered this notion of hybrid quantum classical computing, where the quantum processor is delivered in a manner where it's meant to solve problems in tandem with best available classical computing. One of the reasons and one of the benefits of doing this is that, hey, classical computing is 
Moore's law is is grinding to a halt for sure. Amdahl's law is is also kind of at point of uh, of de minimis returns. Uh, but there are architectural innovations happening in classical computing that are going to continue to drive progress in classical computing. And so uh, our strategy is to really uh, couple and partner with classical advanced classical computing technology through our QPUs to deliver to an end user, not an either or quantum or classical, but the, the availability to run on the leading QPU technology, as well as in tandem and in a tightly integrated approach, the leading classical computing technology uh, at that point in time. And uh, we're able to do that through our cloud services platform. Uh, we've been able, we've been focused on this hybrid approach of quantum classical computing for a long time. We've got an extensive patent portfolio around this, this technology and have, have developed some of the core concepts. For example, Quill, which is uh, an instruction language that really for the first time put quantum logic instructions and classical logic instructions on the same footing within a single instruction set. Uh, a kind of a precursor to a, to a fully realized notion of hybrid quantum classical computing. And what this enables is, a again, a kind of sandbox for the quantum algorithm developer and the customer to explore this very rich uh, uh, platform of quantum classical computing to solve their problems from a very pragmatic point of view. Uh, this can enable, for example, the development of hybrid quantum classical neural networks because of the tight integration of the hardware that represents both of the components of those uh, of such a network on hardware. Uh, we're just really excited about the direction that this can lead going forward. We've been pioneering it for a long time. And I think one of the things you've really started to see is a broad adoption of this concept across the industry as people have recognized the importance of this, of this idea. Um, now, going forward, uh, one of the most important concepts is going to start to take hold over the next five to 10 years in the industry is a notion of fault tolerance. And uh, to run full-scale error correction, to deliver truly fault-tolerant quantum computers requires substantial classical compute capability, uh, effectively delivered in real time in conjunction with a quantum processor. And so we expect that our, our pioneering role and our, and our leadership in the hybrid computing technology is going to translate smoothly into leadership in the, in the quantum error correction and fault-tolerance phase because of the necessary ingredients, really what we've built so far is a is a subset of the broader requirements for a truly fault-tolerant quantum computer. Uh, but we've done it from a very practical lens. And so we're really excited about what this means about our, our, our roadmap going forward as well. I want to turn to the perennial question. I've, I have been casting this as a $64,000 question based on a quiz show that was on TV in the 60s. But for younger guests, they've never heard of that show. So I'm calling it now the perennial question. But anyway, Chad, do you have clients, right? Um, I read that Rigetti's partnering with Deloitte and Strangeworks, among others, to explore quantum applications in areas like material simulation, optimization, and machine learning. Can you share a little bit of detail about these engagements or who you're working with, uh, even at a meta level? Certainly don't want you to share any confidential or proprietary information or give away competitive advantage for your clients, but people always want to know, you know, where is this going on? And how are people using it? We, we do. We Rigetti is working today with a, a broad range of customers in both the public and, and private sector. We've taken the, the view towards building the business and the revenue side of the organization a little bit like the technology where um, you're, you're not going to turn on a $100 million a year revenue engine overnight. You need to build that up over time. Uh, Rigetti reported $6.9 million in revenue for the first three quarters of, of 2021. Um, and you know, up significantly from from both prior years. So we're continuing to grow the business, and we've got 
good traction with a broad set of customers. Now, the strategy and approach we take on this is quantum computing is going to be transformative for substantially any organization, public sector, private sector, that uses advanced computing as part of its core operations or as part of its strategic advantage. And we seek out and partner with leading in organizations within their domain that have the use cases that can be accelerated with quantum computing where we can provide substantial value to them over the medium term and we can pursue quantum advantage uh, demonstrations together and then work to get quantum advantage capabilities in production with them and for them. Uh, That has led to a set of deep technology partnerships, ultimately allowing us to accelerate our our kind of full stack technical innovation from chip design all the way through to kind of software compiler technology, Um, as well as, you know, engaging with a with with a set of cloud distribution channels, whether it's AWS uh, that we've been with since they launched the Bracket service. Uh, yeah, in 2019, great. we recently announced a, an agreement to bring Rigetti quantum computers to Microsoft's Azure quantum platform as well, increasing the accessibility of our of our systems to a, a broader set of users and end customers. And we also have uh, established relationships and, and contracts with some of the leading operators of high performance computing systems. So obviously in the United States, the Department of Energy really takes the lead on a lot of the you know high, high end high performance computing systems. Uh, and uh, and we've really focused on building building strong relationships and, and partnerships with, with some of those labs as well uh, in, in driving our, our technology to this uh, advantage milestone and, and, and you know bringing it to the applications and use cases that it can benefit. So you announced at the end of last year that you're going to go public using a SPAC and merging with Supernova Partners. Can you give us an update on that? You know, more importantly, really, how will you and the company use this new funding, say, to advance the business model to develop your ongoing innovative roadmap you know, and, sh- and develop, uh, share, share with us your vision of where Rigetti might be in three to five years. Uh, our, our goal is to build uh, one of the leading companies in what we expect is going to be a very large and important uh, industry and market going forward to continue to be the technology pioneer in the space and to be the pioneer in driving towards practical use cases, quantum advantage, uh, and getting that into production uh, with end customers. We're really excited to take Rigetti public uh, through our SPAC merger with Supernova Partners. Uh, it's been incredible working with them through the process over the over the past several months. Um, we're very excited about, about this and the next stages for the company. Ultimately, uh, our goal is to con- continue to advance our technology, to invest in our, you know, to fully invest in our technology and product roadmap going forward, and to be able to fully invest in the research and development partnerships with customers and partners to deliver quantum computing, uh, you know, and to realize the full vision and potential of the technology. And going public is going to be a, a really exciting step forward for Rigetti and for the industry overall uh, as we complete the transaction. Yeah. Do you have a target date um, in mind? Or I guess I mean, there are a lot of processes involved to get to... get to. Uh, uh, we're making good progress. And, and <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm going to press you to it. And congratulations. Uh, fantastic. Exciting Thank news. You. Um, and congrats on the Microsoft uh, relationship as well. Terrific. So we're coming to the end. I always like to ask about workforce, right? It's, a, it's an area of passion for me as a nonlinear, multimodal careerist myself. Um, I want to ask you what the challenges are facing a company like Rigetti in finding talent. You know, how do you go about recruiting for your company? Uh, do you have affiliations with universities, perhaps, or national labs? You mentioned relationships with some of those. Are you poaching from corporate R&D? Uh, you know, based on your colleagues' uh, network at IBM, just curious how you how you find talent. It's a you know, it's a rapidly growing space and high demand for 
uh, talent across disciplines, right? So I just want to get your take on that. It's interesting. I think, uh, I don't know if there's ever been an industry that has been founded and created in the early years by hundreds of, of physicists. And quantum computing is really that kind of industry. I'm not sure if we've ever seen that before. Potentially, you really, the nuclear industry could have been that, but obviously subject to really substantial uh, regulation. It, it yeah. puts it in a very different class. And so the opportunity for this industry to grow and flourish based on just the, the incredible individuals that have been um, engaged in the industry over the past decade. And there's so many uh, uh, incredible people in quantum computing today. First and foremost, it makes me just very bullish about the industry as a whole and the impact it's going to have, um, the, the success that the companies are going to have. And, and also, I think it, it creates a path for individuals that are early on, maybe they're in college or they're in high school, that are really interested in STEM, they're really interested in science or physics or engineering. Uh, maybe they don't want to, maybe they don't want a, a career in pure research, but they want to have an impact on building products and technology that customers use. And I think quantum computing continues to emerge as an industry where that industry, it is hungry for talent um, because there's, uh, there, there, there's always more challenges uh, than there are people to solve them. But I think it's creating a path, a visible path for people early on in their careers to say, that's something I want to do and I want to prepare myself for a career there. Uh, so I think that's having a really positive impact overall. Uh, we continue to grow. I think one of the things that's going to happen through going public and fully capitalizing the balance sheet is that we're going to, you know, we expect to grow substantially and we continue to a attract and, and have just an incredible team, incredible workforce, everything that we've talked about. Everything that the company has accomplished is because of the incredible individuals that have that have driven that work over the past, you know, five, six, seven years at Rigetti, and and we're really bullish on on, on the future. Um, we do have, uh, you know, kind of thinking about talent pipelines and workforce as a consideration of different things we do. Um, some of our partnerships with the Department of Energy, for example, Rigetti is the lead industrial partner on one of the five United States National Quantum Initiative uh, Research Centers, the SQMS Center led by Fermilab. Uh, and as part of that, uh, there's just an interweaving of the, of, the, of the talent base, if you will, across uh, major all the institutions involved there. They get exposure to Rigetti, Rigetti gets exposure to them. And I think things like this can be really healthy for the broad talent market. So it creates a little more transparency and visibility about what the different career paths may be like, ultimately, and people can, can ultimately select into the, into the paths that make sense for them. So I think that's having a really positive impact, as was the intent, ultimately, of the National Quantum Initiative. And we've started to see really, uh, really, really, really good impact from it. Yeah, great. So University of Chicago, the Fermi, is that an affiliation with Chicago Quantum Exchange? Those, uh, those Fermi people? Lab, uh, Northwestern is a lead academic, uh, one of the lead academic institutions. There's there's more than 20 uh, institutions across the, the SQMS Center. Um, and there are five of these centers across the United States, all led by Department of Energy entities. Uh, so overall, I think it's really having a positive impact on the on the on the U.S. workforce in quantum computing. Chad, that brings us to the end. Um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, it's been very enlightening for me, and I hope our listeners enjoy it. I want to invite people to follow you and the company Rigetti Computing on LinkedIn. I want to point them to the website Rigetti.com. There are also social media channels. There are two handles on Twitter, at Chad Rigetti and at Rigetti. And there's a YouTube channel for Rigetti Computing as well. Thanks, Chad, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. 
Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Chad. And listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already, Quantum Tech Pod. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.